with the message as uh, Pastor Wes brings it, and uh, be with the um, offering, Father. Just uh, bless the gift and the giver alike. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Bible says God loves a cheerful giver, but these kids make me question, does God love an aggressive giver? I would say if we all gave as aggressively as these kids did, we'd build this building in about a week. So we're going to sing one last song, 217, Thank You, Lord. Often we sing the chorus of this song. I know in like junior church we'll sing this, but the verses of this song have some beautiful words to them. So let's sing page 217, Thank You, Lord. Some thank the Lord for friends and home, for mercy sure and sweet. But I would thank him for his grace, being prayer I would repeat. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. Some thank him for the flowers that grow, some for the stars that shine. My heart is filled with joy and praise because I know he's mine. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. 
salvation so rich and free. I trust in him from day to day. I prove his saving grace. I'll sing this song of praise to him until I see his face. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free.
how great thou art. Amen. That was good. How many of you are thankful that God saved your soul? Amen. Praise the Lord, right? Man, God sure is good. It's good to see you this morning. Take your Bibles, go to John chapter 1. Kids, you can be dismissed, but John chapter 1 this morning in your Bibles. How many of you like Christmas? The book of John is an interesting gospel. Um, we have four gospels in our Bible. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you get kind of a man's perspective of the life of Christ. And as you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, especially the Christmas story, you see the story about Mary and Joseph. And you see the story about the nativity, and you, you read about the star and the wise men and the shepherds, and you get, you get man's view of what is happening and taking place. But the book of John is completely different. John, in his gospel, if you were to take your Bible and go over you don't have to, but if you were to go to John chapter 20, I think it's uh, verses 30 and 31, there John says the reason he wrote his gospel was so that we would believe that Jesus was the Son of God and that in believing, we would have life. For those two reasons, John wrote his gospel. And through the gospel of John, John is do, seeking really to do one thing, and that's prove the deity of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's doing throughout the book. And there's several events that happen in the book of John that kind of break that up. But in each one of those events, John is seeking to show that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I used to kind of think that John skipped the Christmas story. That John didn't deal with Jesus coming into the earth and that, Jesus, that he didn't deal with, with him being born of a virgin and all those different things. But that's not necessarily true. In John chapter 1, we get to see the Christmas story from God's perspective. We don't see it from man's perspective. But in John chapter 1, we get to see it how God saw it. Now, let me give you a quick illustration. So a couple weeks ago, I had the wonderful privilege of loading up my family into our car. We drove halfway, or, you know, to the, to the West Coast, to California, and we dropped off our son for school. Now, you could look at that event, and you could see us, and you could say, oh, look, they got in their car, and oh, they put gas in their car, and oh, they got lunch there, and look at them travel, and they went to California Okay, we went to California. Not too excited about California. It is what it is. But anyway, we went to California, and you could see us drop off Wesley, and you could see us pull into the parking lot, and all the college kids out on the street cheering and balloons and signs and banners, and woo, we're glad you're here. And you, you could watch all of those events unfold. You could be there on the Sunday morning when we told him goodbye, and we got back in the car, and we started to head back home. You could see all of that. But you still would not experience that event the same way I did, the way his mother did, 
and the way his brother and sister have experienced that event. Now, some of you can understand because you've been there. You've dropped off kids. You've left them, and you've gone home, and you have experienced that. But you still don't have the same perspective that we do. And here in John chapter 1, we get to see the perspective of God the Father when Jesus Christ, the God of eternity, steps out of heaven and takes on human flesh. And so this morning, I want to look with you for just a few moments out of John chapter 1 about the living word. Here in John chapter 1, Jesus Christ is referred to as the word. If you look at verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Notice verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, and we beheld his glory, the glorious of the only begotten of the Father. Here we see the divine living word of God. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, this divine word, the living word of God. Before we start, let's pray real quick. Father, I pray that you would just work in our hearts this morning. I pray that you would give me the words. Lord, I pray that you would just, uh, I pray that this would come alive to, to our minds and our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that it would uh, impact our thinking. Lord, I pray that it would draw us closer to yourself. And Lord, may you just get the glory through this. And, and Lord, I just pray that that uh, somehow this would be understandable. And Lord, uh, Lord, just thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. And Lord, thank you for sending your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Here, Jesus is called the word. Um, the word is, is an interesting term. It is the Greek word logos. If you were to do a study on this word and look throughout Greek culture, and if you were to look out through history, you would see that this word is more than just words. This word logos goes deeper than just mere words on a piece of paper. Jesus Christ is not just a word. This word logos goes to the thoughts and intent of a writer. It goes to the deeper meaning of what a writer is trying to say. Some of you, how, how many of you had the wonderful privilege of reading Shakespeare in high school or in college? And you went back to English class and your teacher said, so, what do you think this means? I don't know. It's some dude however long ago writing a book and it's a bunch of words I don't understand and I don't necessarily know what he means. I'm sorry, I did not excel in English class. But you know, when you take Shakespeare and you read Shakespeare, there's more to it than just those words on that page. Shakespeare was trying to say more than just the words that he wrote down. And ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus Christ steps out of eternity as the living word of God, it's more than just, just oh, some letters. Jesus Christ is the revelation or the express or the expression of God the Father's heart and mind. When Jesus Christ came to earth, he was to glorify the Father. He was the representation of God the Father. You could go to John chapter 14, and there in John 14, um, uh, um, no, it's not John 14, but in the book of John, he says, or no, it's John chapter 1, verse 18. Look over there. It says, no man has seen God at any time. Nobody has seen God the Father. 
the only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. Jesus Christ came to declare the father. Jesus Christ is the representation, the expression of the thought, heart, mind of God. And he is the living word. That's who he is. That's who he is. And so this morning, that's what I want to look at. I want to look at this word. First thing I want you to think about is, number one, he's eternal, the eternal word. Notice chapter, or chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the word. Now, if we could geek out real quick, that word was is extremely important. The tense of that word was is an action that was happening in the past constantly. So in other words, you could look at John chapter 1, verse 1, and you could say, in the beginning, the word was existing. You can match this up with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When you match it up with John chapter 1, in the beginning, the word was existing. He was already there. Jesus Christ is not a created being. Jesus Christ didn't come into existence when God created the world. Jesus Christ is eternal. He is eternal. He is eternal God. He possesses all the attributes of God. He, he, he is God. In the beginning was the word. Here in verses 1 through 3 of John chapter 1, we actually see three very significant attributes of Jesus Christ. Number one, we see his preexistence. He was with God. Or I'm sorry, in the beginning was God, his preexistence. He was already there. Secondly, we see what is known as his co-existence. In verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. So now we, now we see something. We see a, a, an identity. Jesus Christ is not the Father. The word is not the Father. The word is a different person. It's the second person of the Trinity. And here we see his coexistence. There he is, right alongside the Father in his function. But we have a third thing. Not only do we have his preexistence and his coexistence, but now you see his self-existence. Notice verse 3. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Here you have his self-existence. Nobody created God. God wasn't created from something. Jesus Christ was not created from something. The word was self-existing. In order to create, you have to self-exist. Jesus Christ was not created. He was the creator. And for him to be the creator, he had to possess the power, the authority, and the ability to create. Why? Because he's self-existing. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is eternal. He has always been. He is, and he will forever be. Jesus Christ is eternally God. Here we see Jesus Christ, God. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, here's a popular Christmas verse that we use. It says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be a ruler in Israel, notice this, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Here, this prophecy in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, you could go over to Matthew chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, and there you'll see the fulfillment of this prophecy. But Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, and according to the prophecy in Micah chapter 5, his goings were from everlasting. 
He's always been. He's always been. Jesus, in his own words, in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 17, verse number 5, he said, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. In John chapter 17, verse 24, he said, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And in John chapter 8, verses 57 through 59, um, uh, verse 57 says, Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet 50 years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? And Jesus responds in verse 58, Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. That I am phrase is an amazing study. It's a being verb. I be. I exist. I am. You can find it through all, throughout all of Scripture. In the Old Testament, God responded with, I am. In the New Testament, Jesus responds with, I am. It means I am the existing one. And he's always existed. In fact, this claim right here of deity was so direct in the minds of the Jews. Verse 59 says, then they took up stones to cast at him. The Jews got so mad that Jesus responded this way, they wanted to kill him. I, talking with the team, you can, you can go on YouTube and you can find, you can find videos um, primarily of Muslims who will set up a booth and they want to argue about Christianity versus Islam. And one of their biggest arguments is that Jesus never claimed to be God. And the reality is this. On some levels, they're right. There is not, there is, you will not find a Bible verse where Jesus says, I am the Messiah. You're not necessarily going to find that. You're not going to find a verse where Jesus stands up and says, I am God. It's kind of taken for granted. There are indirect hints over and over and over again. For example, he calls himself the son of man, which is a reference to uh, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. The prophecy about the son of man coming, and that is the Messiah. They got mad when he used that term. Um, but there are many indirect uh, claims, and this would be one of them when he says, I am. And they got mad and they wanted to kill him. But Jesus is God. He is the eternal God. He is the living, eternal word of God. And ladies and gentlemen, he has always been. He will always be. And that's all there is to it. You say, okay, well, Pastor West, that's great. Well, what, how does that really affect me? What, what's the point? Well, let me, let me throw a couple ideas at you. Do you, do, you, do you realize that the Jehovah Witnesses don't believe Jesus Christ is God? Do you realize that the Jehovah Witnesses claim that Jesus Christ was created by Jehovah? Do you realize that? They don't believe he's God. They believe he is a created being. I, I challenge you, uh, write these two verses down in... Um, uh, in John chapter 1, verse 23, uh, when the Pharisees are asking John the Baptist who he is, he says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Cross-reference that with Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. When you have a Jehovah Witness knock on your door, number one, I wouldn't waste a ton of time. But secondly, 
I would encourage them to go to John chapter 1, verse 23, and say, who is John talking about? And you know what they're going to tell you? They're going to tell you he's talking about Jesus Christ. He was the forerunner of Jesus. Then take them to Isaiah 40, verse 3, and when you read Isaiah 40, verse 3, you're going to find that he was the forerunner of the Lord, all capitals, which is Jehovah in the Old Testament. And they will quickly leave your porch, and they will stop talking to you. But the Jehovah Witnesses don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. The Mormons don't either. The Mormons teach that he was a created being and that he's the brother of Satan. They do not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Mormons are not Christians. Listen to me. I grew up in Phoenix. I grew up out west. I grew up around Mormons. I had Mormon friends. But listen to me. Mormons are not Christians. They are a cult. They do not believe Jesus Christ is God. It is a lie. Their revelation is from Satan himself and from the pit of hell. They are not Christians. I get so aggravated. I get aggravated about a couple things. Number one, I get aggravated because, number one, most Mormons, they're clean cut and they look good. But they're not Christians. They're not saved. They don't believe the truth. And it aggravates me when I, when I go on my wife's Facebook and there's the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Or there's some special group of Mormons and they're singing, how great thou art. But they don't believe in the same God I believe in. And then they're singing Christmas carols and they're singing Christmas songs. And it looks great. But ladies and gentlemen, it's deceptive. Because they don't believe Jesus is God. And it's a lie. And then the other thing that aggravates me is when people, Christians post and share it. That just drives me crazy because it's a lie. And ladies and gentlemen, it is important that we understand and we realize that Jesus Christ is God. He is eternal. He's always been. He will always be. He's God. And that's all there is to it. It affects your life. It affects my life. It affects our interaction with other people who think and believe other things. And we better be able to talk about it. We better be able to defend it. And we better be able to explain to people that Jesus Christ is God. Now, on another practical note, Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. I would encourage you to highlight these words. I would encourage you to underline this verse. Put this verse in the front leaf of your Bible so that you remember where it's at, so you can go there when you need it. But in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, it says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with, with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Listen, you need to realize that the eternal God, Jesus Christ, is available to you to strengthen you and to be your helper. And he has made a promise here that he will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. And you need to claim that promise. He needs to be the one that you run into the arms of. He needs to be the one that you look toward in faith for help in whatever that moment, whatever that circumstance might be. He needs to be that one. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 are wonderful verses. The eternal word. Not only is he the eternal word, but secondly, he is the creating word. Go back to John chapter 1, look at verse 3. It says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Go down to verse 10. It says, he was in the world, 
and the world was made by him. Here we see Jesus Christ, the creator. Verse 3, once again, all things are made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, Jesus Christ is the instrument that made everything. He is the creator. I mentioned Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Colossians 1, verse 16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him. Psalm 33, verse 9, For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2, uh, hath talking about Jesus, God sending Jesus, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Jesus Christ is the creator. You say, well, Pastor Russ, I know that. Yeah, I realize that. Yeah, okay. God created everything. No, 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 not just God. Jesus. Jesus had a hand in the creation. In fact, Hebrews 11 verse 2 says God used Jesus to create everything. He was God's instrument. He's the one who spoke the stars into existence. He's the one who spoke the land and the earth into existence. He's the one who spoke the animals into existence. He's the one who reached down into the dirt and formed Adam and breathed air into his lungs. He's the one who plucked the rib out of Adam and made woman. Je Jesus Christ is the creator. He made all things. He made everything. Ladies and gentlemen, in our day and time, it is so important that we remember that and that we take a stand for that. We are attacked on every side at the very basic, at the very fund fundamental, at the very foundation of Christianity. You and I are being attacked. God is being attacked by one thing. That one thing is evolution. How many of you are a product of the 90s? Anybody who lived through the 90s? Come on, raise your hand. Me too. I know I'm 45. I turned 45 Wednesday. Okay, it's okay. How many of you lived in the 90s? How many of you remember good old RuPaul on VH1? How many of you remember RuPaul? Now, today, I mean, he's even, like, larger. Now he's got whatever show and whatever. I don't really care. But listen. Supposedly, RuPaul got famous about 1992, and I think he had a show from, like, 97 to 98 or something like that. But... Do you remember back in the 90s, RuPaul was kind of like fringy. It was kind of like, you know, you'd be flipping through the cable channels and that would be on and you'd be kind of like, eh, it's too weird for me. And you'd keep going. Do you remember that? And it's kind of like, and maybe you watched some of it. I don't know. I never, I never did. I just, sorry, not my thing. But um, still not my thing. But, um, you know, it, it was just kind of weird. Do you see where we are today? Do you see how crazy things have gotten today? I know you've all seen the commercials and stuff of, from Bud Light and Dylan Mulvaney or whatever his name is. I know you've seen that. RuPaul has his, his uh, uh, oh, what's the real life show called? What's that reality TV show or whatever it is now? Um, ladies and gentlemen, we are, it's everywhere. It's literally smacking you inside the, upside the face. You can watch, you know, it used to be, you could skip certain shows 
But man, now it's in the commercials. Now it's everywhere. It's everything. And Satan, this world, is just smacking you upside the face with all of this craziness and all of this wickedness, and it's chaos. And you know why? One thing, evolution. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to I I share something with you today. I, I would argue four issues with evolution real quick, okay? Number one, the, the number one problem with evolution is this. It completely denies God and Christ. If evolution is true, then John chapter 1 and verse 3 is not true. Then Jesus is not the creator of all things, and all things were not made by him, if evolution is true. And so if evolution is true, then guess what? I would argue that Jesus Christ is not God. And if Jesus Christ is not the creator, and if he's not God, we might as well pack up and go home. But evolution is a slap, it is a direct attack on the deity of Jesus Christ and God. It is a di- it's a direct attack. And today it's just becoming more and more obvious. Do you realize in, uh, what was it, not, what did I print off, 1925? Hold on, I got like 75 pages here, I gotta look at it real quick. 19, yeah, 1925, you had the scope trials. And they came in and they said, nope, it's on, it's, uh, we need to start teaching evolution. And so they started teaching evolution. And in a lot of states, they had laws on the books that said, okay, you can teach evolution, but when you teach evolution, you also have to give the creation's perspective. So you kind of had both being taught until the 1960s. And then I believe it was 1968. 1968, the Supreme Court came in and made a ruling, and, uh, and there was an issue there. And then it was in 1987. According, that's according to encyclopedia.com and according to Pew Research. Uh, the Pew Research Center, you can look this up. But according to them, June 19th, 1987, the Supreme Court issued a landmark ruling that dramatically reshaped the debate over teaching evolution in public schools. In Edwards versus Aguilard, the high court struck down a Louisiana law requiring that schools teach creation science whenever students learn about evolution. Why? The court ruled that the law's purpose was to promote religion and thus it violated the First Amendment Establishment Clause. So in other words, the Supreme Court, the world came in and said, you know what? Creation is an attempt to push religion on the kids, so we're going to get rid of that, and now all we're going to do is we're going to teach evolution. 1987. 1987. Where are we at now? What? 35 years later? Ish? How's it going? How's it working out? It's chaos. I just found out yesterday or this morning that Fort Morgan Middle School now has a furry. But anyway, we'll get to that in a second. Listen, the number one problem with evolution is it's an attack against God. It's an attack against God. It's, against, it's an attack against the deity of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, evolution is from the pit of hell. The second problem with evolution, it is, it is the destruction of gender and the home. Write these verses down, underline them. You need these in your life. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. God created you. You're not a product of evolution. You're not an accident. You didn't come from an ape. 
You're not some amoeba. You're not a, you're, it wasn't chance. God made you. God created man in his own image, and the image of God created him. Male and female created he them. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I did a search yesterday. I googled scientifically how many genders are there. And this is, this. you want to see it? You can come look at it. It's from Google. It's a screenshot from Google. This is what it says. It is safe to say that science recognizes three sexes, male, female, and intersex. However, gender is not made up of binary forms. Instead, it is a wide spectrum. That's according to seedscientific.com. Uh, some other, other, other questions people have, have asked. What are the six chromosomal sexes? What are the seven main genders? What does science say about genders? Are there more genders than male and female? The next is from the National Institute of Health.gov. Only two sex forms, but multiple gender variants. The next one is from scientificamerica.com. Sex redefined. The idea of two sexes is overly simplistic. You know why? Because God's not complicated. Because God's not complicated. God created man, woman, male, female. You know what the problem is, though, ladies and gentlemen? When you start believing evolution and you believe that you are just a product of, of some kind of process and you just evolved out of nothing and you're just chance and, you know, you just are what you are, you know what evolution's trying to do? It's trying to make you God instead of God God, and now you get to choose. And what's happened? It's chaos. Now at the middle school, we have a furry. From what I understand, they're thinking about putting out a litter box. It's happening everywhere. Yes, people say, oh, I'm a cat. So they identify as a cat. So you know what they have to do? They go in the bathroom and they put in a litter box so that they can go to the bathroom. The people who are pushing this stuff, I wish they'd identify as a deer. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you put two and two together. Ladies and gentlemen, it is chaos. And I pers personally, for me, I believe that there are principalities and powers in high places, and Satan is working. And ladies and gentlemen, he's attacking your kids, he's attacking my kids, and he's trying to destroy our kids. And ladies and gentlemen, I know a number of you, I know, a lot, I know some of you teach in the public school, I know a lot of you have your kids in the public school, but listen to me, you better be having conversations with your kids. You better sit down at the dining room table and you better break open this book and you better read jo Genesis chapter one, chapters one through three and you better look at what it says about God and what God did and you better teach and inform your children so that way when they go to the public school, that way when they get out on their own, they are informed, they do know what God's word says and they can take a stand for God. I only see your kids once or twice a week. I don't have the time. You see your kids every day. And ladies and gentlemen, it is imperative that we teach our kids the word of God. And we teach them biblical principle. And we teach them what God says instead of what man says. You realize the state of Colorado, I believe, for a school year uh, requires 1,080 hours. 1,080 hours for a school year. That is 1,080 hours where they're not in your care, they're not under your teaching, they're not under you or listening to you, they're listening to somebody else. Question, what are they hearing? And ladies and gentlemen, as parents, we have a responsibility to teach our kids. 
We have a responsibility to inform our kids and to teach them the Bible and show them what God says. Ladies and gentlemen, you got to teach your kids. You got to prepare your kids. This world is trying to destroy our children. Not only do you have the denial of God, the destruction of gender, but then the third thing real quick is the design of man. Evolution is destroying the design of man. Do you realize here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. God created us in his own image. You know, in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, the Bible says, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to, for to dwell on the face of the earth. God created all men in his image of one blood. You realize there's only one race? That's the human race. Now listen, there are different cultures, there are different people groups, and by looking out across this room, some of you have more melanin and some of you have less. Right, melanin, right? Isn't it melanin? Melanin, right? Your skin pigment? You realize some of you have more, some of you have less. Some of you have a lot less. Some of you don't go out in the sun because you don't have enough. But you see, God created all of us that way. God didn't, God on the day of creation didn't go, oh, we'll create black people, we'll create brown people, we'll create white people. God didn't do that. God created two people, and guess what? They weren't white. You know Jesus wasn't white? He was probably olive-skinned, brown, just like all the other people from Palestine and that part of the world. Yeah, he wasn't white. You realize there are some nuts out there that preach and teach that Jesus was white? Blows my mind. There are, really, there are some really stupid people in this world. But anyway, um, listen. God created one race, the human race, ladies and gentlemen. One blood. We're all equal in the eyes of God. Racism is the byproduct of evolution. I would challenge you. I did this with the teens one time. Go back and look, and I'm, I'm not going to remember names, but go back and look at Darwin and look at what Darwin says about the Negro. Go back and look at the pit bull. I don't remember the guy's name. I know he was referred to as the pit bull of Darwin, but go back and look at his words about the Negro. And you will find there at the very foundation of evolution, it's racist. In the evolutionary mind, the white man is the furthest from the ape. The Westerner, the English, are the furthest. And that's what evolution teaches at its foundation. Racism doesn't come from God. It's not created necessarily from man. Satan created it, and Satan made it an issue. It has no place in Christianity. As a Christian, it has no place in your life or in mine. We are not any better than anybody else because we have a little bit more of skin pigment or a little bit of less. God created all men equal. And ladies and gentlemen, as a Christian, it has no place in our life. Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11 says, and have put on the new man. That's you and me as Christians. We put on the new man, which, was, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Listen to this. 
where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Take a moment, go read Acts chapter 8 and look at Philip when he came to the Ethiopian eunuch. Guess where he was from? Ethiopia. Do you know where that is? It's in Africa. I would imagine that the Ethiopian eunuch was a black man. And God sent Philip to preach the gospel to him and he got saved and he took that gospel back to Ethiopia. God is all. Christ is all and in all. Ladies and gentlemen, we're all the same. We are created by God in his image. Psalm 139, verse 14 says this, and here's another verse. Write this down, highlight it, put it down somewhere, put it in your notes and go back. Psalm 139, verse 14, David says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Ladies and gentlemen, teenagers, children, you guys are wonderfully fearfully, wonderfully made by God. God made you on purpose. God made you to be who you are and what you are on purpose. God did that. And the fourth problem, real quick, is uh, evolution destroys the purpose of man. In Genesis chapter 1, 28, it says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God gave us dominion, God told us to be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish, to subdue. God gave us purpose. And listen, because of evolution, there are teenagers who are committing suicide because they feel hopeless and they have no purpose. That's evolution. God gives purpose. God designed you for a purpose. God created you and made you in his image. And you are special and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are the work of God's hands and God has created you for a purpose. But when you jerk God out of it and you put man and his ideas in there, that goes away. And that's what evolution has done. It has ripped God out of our lives. And what's happened? We've lost that purpose. Jesus Christ is the creating word. He is the creator. Evolution's not real. It's a lie. It's fake. It does not exist. God is the creator. Jesus Christ created you. He created me. And we need to remember that. Not only do you have the, uh, the eternal word and the created, the created word, but the next, or the creating word, but the next thing I want you to see is the manifested word. Go back to John chapter 1 and look at verse 14. The Bible says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word made does not mean to create. It simply means to come into existence it means to come on stage so here it says and the word was made flesh here human history came to the exact moment that god was intending for and just like you know i know a number of you teenagers are in uh theater i would imagine that in theater for your school plays and stuff you have a director And you have people that at different moments are getting your attention saying, hey, your part's coming up. Hey, you're about to go on stage. And you have people that are directing and they're telling you when your moment is. And ladies and gentlemen, this word made means that there came that moment when it was time for Jesus to step on stage. 
That's exactly what this word means. And that time, that point in history finally came about, and Jesus Christ steps out of eternity. He steps into time and space. Here, the one who's never been limited, here, the one who exists beyond boundaries, the one who is eternal, steps out of that limitlessness, and he steps into time and space. He takes on humanity, becomes 100% man, and walks among you and me. He leaves heaven. He leaves the splendor. He, le- he wraps and robes up and leaves that glory behind, and he steps on earth to walk among you and me. He was made flesh, 100% God, 100% man. And then it says, and dwelt among us. This word dwelt means to be tabernacled. In other words, he took up residence among us. He lived among people. He dealt with people. He lived among men. Why? Why would the God of eternity, why would the the creator, why would this eternal God who's not limited by time and space, why would he step out of heaven to walk among you and me? Take your Bibles, go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter number 4. Galatians chapter 4, and look at verses 4 and 5. The Bible says, but when the fullness of time was come. Oh, listen, that time balloon had gotten big enough. It finally reached that that tension, that perfect moment, and pop! Jesus came. It was, it was that fullness of time. It had, everything had been completed. Everything was ready. It was the perfect moment. In the fullness of time, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Why? To redeem them that were under the law, that they might receive the adoption of sons. Why did God send his son? Why did Jesus Christ step out of eternity? Why did he step out of that limitlessness? Why did he step out of heaven to walk among us? To redeem us. To buy us back. John says in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he what? That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why did Jesus Christ come to earth? So that he could die for your sins and for mine, so that we could have everlasting life. That's why he came. That's why he he took upon human flesh. That's why he came to earth. You could go over to um, you go over to Hebrews chapter two. I'll, I'll let you write these down, and you can look at these on your own time. You go to Hebrews chapter two. Um, where did I just put that paper? You go to Hebrews chapter two, verses fourteen through fifteen. For as much then as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also himself. Likewise, took part of the same. He became flesh and he became blood. Why? That he through death might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus Christ took on flesh so he could die. He couldn't die unless he became man. 
He had to become a man to die for your sins and for mine. You go to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. He became man so he could die for your sins and for mine. To redeem us. To redeem us. Go back to John chapter 1. John deals with this in John chapter 1. Look at verse 10. Go to John chapter 1, verse 10. He says, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. The world, the, the thing that he created, forgot about him, and his own people who he called out and brought out of Egypt rejected him. But notice verse 12. But, ladies and gentlemen, those are three amazing letters. The word but, you say, well, Pastor Wes, it's, it's just, you know, a little conjunction. I mean, it's just like this little word that's there. I mean, what does it matter? It's about to tell you something different. John's about to change gears. Listen, everybody forgot about him. The Jews rejected him. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What an awesome but. What an awesome but. Listen, everybody else can reject him and turn their back on him. But listen, if you'll receive him, he will give you the power or the authority to be the son of God. What an awesome thing that the God of heaven stopped, stepped out of eternity, walked on this earth, died on an old rugged cross for your sins and for mine, so that if I will believe in him and accept him, he will make me his son. That's awesome. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Ladies and gentlemen, what an awesome thing. One, comp, one writer wrote it like this. He who is from everlasting to everlasting was born of a woman and died on a cross. He who, according to the mind of the spirit, is wonderful, was spit upon by men. He who by the same mind as counselor is rejected of men. He who is the mighty God is crucified in abject weakness. He who is the everlasting father is a son who learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He who created all things occupied an infant's cradle. He who is holy, harmless, undefiled, and separated from sinners was made to be sinned in behalf of others. He who was the bread of life was himself hungry, he who was the giver of supernatural, the supernatural water of life was himself thirsty. He who was God's gift of life to a lost world was himself dead. And ladies and gentlemen, he who was dead is alive forevermore. That's our God. That's the living word, ladies and gentlemen. That is the living word. Jesus Christ is the eternal word. He is the creating word. And ladies and gentlemen, Praise God, he was the manifested word who came, walked among men, and died on that cruel, rugged cross for your sins and for mine. And praise God, he rose on the third day to give us victory. Praise God for the living word, for Jesus Christ. What will you do with Jesus? You believe he's the creator? You believe he's God? What will you do with him? Let me ask you this. Have you believed on him? Have you received him and accepted that free gift of life? 
Philippians chapter 2 says this in verses 9 through 11. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you can reject Jesus. You can deny Jesus. This world can deny Jesus. This world can fight against Jesus. This world can attack Jesus. But get this, there will come a day and there will come a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Question, is Jesus Christ Lord in your life? Is Jesus Christ Lord? Every head bowed, every eye closed, let's stand. I ask you again, is Jesus Christ Lord in your life? If you're saved today, he should be Lord. If you've accepted that gift, if you have believed on his name, then he should be Lord. But if you stand here this morning and you've never bowed that knee and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and and called out and accepted that free gift and believed on him, you don't have life. You don't have life. Unfortunately, you have eternal death. And I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, you don't want that. And this morning, Jesus Christ knocks at that door. And if you will open, he will come in and he will sup with you, he says. Ladies and gentlemen, if you will accept that gift, if you will call on his name, if you will accept him and believe on him, he says you'll have life. What an amazing thing that is. Do you have life today? Is Jesus Christ Lord? We're just going to sing one verse, 476. If you're all on the altar, 476. If you need to come forward and pray this morning, if you need to get saved, if you need to call out and accept that free gift, you come forward, we'll have somebody show you from the Bible and help you. But don't leave today without getting that settled. Don't leave today without getting that settled. 476 is you're all on the altar. church again tonight five o'clock uh pastor thane will be preaching so if you can be here we will not have choir tonight we will not have choir we will have our bible study program at 4 30 but no choir and uh pastor thane would you close us in prayer sir
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us out today, Lord. Thank you for the moisture we had this morning. Lord, I pray that you just protect everyone as they go home today. Help them have a restful afternoon. And Lord, be with the services tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.